is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From Variety, I'm Michael Schneider. Back in 1999, Stranger Things star David Harbour was still a struggling actor in New York, working on stage, in soaps, and of course, guesting on Dick Wolf's Law & Order. On TV, the biggest thing was The X-Files, and to this day, David's favorite episode is the season six installment titled Field Trip. So you're being digested by the earth, and you're hallucinating your life, right? Which to me, like when I watched it, when I was, I don't know, I was in my 20s or something, I was really into that concept. Like, we're all being digested by the earth, and we're all just like dreaming a sort of life that has meaning and purpose, and while our bodies are slowly being eaten alive, we're food for worms, right? So that metaphor really like hit me really hard. One of the X-Files Monster of the Week stories, this one was a bit different. Mulder and Scully are out investigating the mysterious death of a couple, but it turns out it was a giant fungal growth that causes hallucinations. The two of them are soon trapped and experiencing their own weird hallucinations. The idea of them being stuck in a gooey parallel universe of their minds is not dissimilar to Stranger Things. I actually think it does something really extraordinary with in television, within storytelling, in and of itself. My favorite episode's about to start. Cause you're my favorite episode. My favorite, favorite episode. episode. Coming real, it's the next episode. episode. In this episode, we talk to David Harbour about his favorite episode of TV ever, of course, The X-Files, plus his favorite episode ever of Stranger Things. Stay close. What I'm about to tell you is going to change the life of everybody on this planet. Who took Agent Mulder? Something else is going on here. Am I the only one who thinks that? And what did he bring back? I abducted him. The X-Files. Oh, my God. An all-new episode, Sunday at 9, 8 Central on Fox. It was, so it was 1999 when that episode came out. Yeah. I can't remember what year The Matrix came out, but it was oh, kind yeah, of around the same time. I feel like there were, there were a lot of works around that time where we were sort of playing with what's reality and what's not. Yeah. And, and here we are doing our thing. But what if, what if like, we're, we're just pawns? What if someone else has actually programmed us to just do this like day-to-day thing. And I like that you mentioned uh, Groundhog Day because you're right. There are some mornings I wake up and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take the 134 to work today. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to just change my reality just a little bit. Yeah. And, and you try hard, but ultimately it's the same. It always ends up the same. I end but up I mean, the work. funny thing about the concept of the Matrix in general is like if you break out of the Matrix, it's still kind of the Matrix. Like it's this Buddhist concept of like Maya or whatever, illusion, right? So you... You live in it, and then you acknowledge it, and then you continue to live in it. I mean, there's no other there's no other way to go, which is why I thought this thing was great. It's like, so you're being digested by the earth, and you're dreaming your life. I mean, even yeah. when you escape, you're still sort of dreaming your life. We're going to come to the end of our lives and be confused and disabled and, and die, you know, as 
dumbfounded at all of it as uh, as anything. So, yeah. you know, this idea that you're in control of it, that actually this mushroom is just eating you. Like, I just love the... I just love how potent that image yeah. was. But the other thing that I think is really extraordinary that it does on a certain level of television, okay, it, which Stranger Things does this as well, is it actually, as a result of how invested you are in the relationships of the characters and how interesting the characters are and how much you love Mulder and Scully and their relationship, yeah. you forget about the plot stuff that's like kind of important and doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I feel like Stranger Things does a little bit of this as well, with the, the upside down being this thing that we haven't really defined and it still continues to grow and mutate. And, you know, I don't know that it has particular limits to it that we we sort of use the upside down as the story goes along. And they sort of use the hallucinations as their story goes along. There's clearly delinea delineated hallucinations of hers and of his. And then they start to meld. And you're like how could these two people be dreaming in the same world? Like at the end where they are talking to Skinner and they're clearly in the same delusion. Yeah. That's impossible for two brains to be having the same hallucination. But because you love Mulder and Scully so much and actually because you think they're super connected, I think, you just buy it. Yeah. And you're just cool with it. Yeah, yeah. Especially by, that was season six. So by then, yeah. so you're, 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 you're all... like, whatever they want to do. Like, if you want to have a mind meld, like, we're in. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the funny thing that always, like, like, especially now looking back at the X-Files, and they had to do, what, like 22 or 24 episodes a season, which Crazy. is insane now insane. in hindsight. And so good, all of yeah. them. And, like... We try to do eight or nine, and it nearly breaks us. Yeah. So I don't know how they did that. Yeah, well, you know, it's and and so, so they had to do so much storytelling, and that's where I think the the monster of the week episodes versus the mythology sort of played into it. But what always fascinated me, and and even now thinking about that show, is how they would have like a mythology episode. It's the end of the world, the black yeah. tar, and and all that. Yeah. And then the next week, they'd be back in their office joking around like the world wasn't ending. And, yeah. not and even there's like a werewolf out there. We got to go yeah. to like Wisconsin and get him. Yeah. Not yeah. even like discuss like, holy shit. Like, yeah, I know we got to do that. But don't forget the aliens are coming in. <laughs> and and <laughs> what about that cigarette right. smoking guy? And like, right. what, what, isn't that the only thing you would be talking about ever? <laughs> yeah. Now, and, and your show actually suffers from a little bit of that, too. Yeah. Because it's sort of like, why isn't this the only thing they're ever talking about? At <laughs> all hours of the day, why aren't they just sitting around a table comparing notes and, and, and formulating what's going on. And, and it's true. It's, it's true. like, and, and that was always my problem with lost as well. It's like, how is no one all that interested? Like, I know, I know. And we do do the same. We, we have the same tropes. I think that to a certain degree, we, we uh, use those tropes and kind of hang a lantern on them and try to put our own spin on them. But uh, you know, the same tropes of like, uh, you know, uh, everybody's concerned that something might be coming back to Hawkins and Hopper's like, nah, I don't think so. You know? <laughs> like like that, that sort of, uh, you know, but although the characters are developing and they are getting more savvy and they are uh, changing and growing. And we are sort of incorporating those things as we go further into the narrative. I think that. You know, one of the things that happened was that we set ourselves up with a certain thing where we didn't know we were going to have more seasons. And so they left a couple Easter eggy sort of things. At the, I don't know if you call them Easter egg, but so little little breadcrumbs at the end of the first season. Yeah. But I think that we weren't convinced that we were going to go on. We sort of had a complete story. So um, 
uh, I think that the expansion of the world has been really liberating and really fun. And I actually think that season two was the scariest one to bridge. Mm-hmm. Because now that we bridge it with season two and we establish these relationships like Eleven sort of being part of the town and, you know, with Hopper and um, that we've, and the lab getting shut down, that now the world can really open up and expand. And I think this was really our scariest season. Yeah. I, I was really afraid of it because I did think season one was so complete. And then going into season two, I was worried. There was a lot of cool stuff. But once we started to get into it, it was fun. And now that it worked, the world is so big that in terms of further seasons, I'm really, I'm not as nervous. I'm more excited yeah. about the potential because it's like you have a fabric and you could follow this weave or this weave or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. Do you, do you think there did, uh, the, the Duffers sort of uh, emulate any, anything in, in, in the past that has worked in terms of expanding a world or, or doing a show now in season three where fans expect something? Do you, do you think there's, there's something that they're kind of following? Yeah, I mean, I think that we – there's a lot of stuff to mine. I mean, it's sort of like the Star Wars uh, trilogy or like the Indiana Jones trilogy in the sense yeah. of like you have Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is sort of like this great epic story. And then you go off to the second one, Temple of Doom, which is like a crazy – like they have like dance numbers in the beginning. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Harrison Ford in a bogey tuxedo and like – uh, so they, they sort of have an adventure story premise, these Stranger Things sort of things. But we can be, we can explore lots of different areas. I mean, we can explore things that are fun. And we can explore things that are dark and more horror-based. But there's a lot of material. And the other thing is the 80s, which is our sort of, you know, our stock and yeah. trade or whatever. Nine, we're in 1985 now for season three. We're in 83, 84, and this is 85, right? And there's so much about the 80s that we are exploring on a subtle level, politically, um, culture-wise, fashion-wise, you know, production design-wise. The 80s moved themselves, right? Like from 83 to 85, and then you think about like 87 or 88, the late 80s. I mean... And and the way film is developing during that time too, and the films that are being made. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's so much to mine, and there's so much fun to be had. And I think that because we bridged that second season and we were successful, um, I think now it's kind of like you know all yeah. whatever. Like let's just go all these fun places. Well, Eighty five is Goonies, and it's also Back to the Future. Is it Goonies eighty five? Yeah. Oh yeah, Goonies is eighty five. Um, it's either 85 back, or 86. It is Back to the Future. Yeah, but Back to the Future is definitely 85. There's also some pretty iconic, um, there's also some pretty iconic horror films from 85. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, th- there's a lot of, um, I guess, yeah, it's so funny to do these things because, like, I, I have you, specific yeah, things in my head and, like, I can't You don't know what you can I, say. Exactly. Well, they just Netflix they, will get, you know. Yeah, they, I think the only thing, they, they just released some photos today of, of Steve working at the mall. Yeah, so we did the StarCorp mall promo thing, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Yeah, so there is, I mean, that's another fascinating thing, which we never had in Hawkins, right? Like, Hawkins was a small town America. Yeah. Now, the expansion of America, right? The expansion of these malls, these, like, strip malls with, yeah. like... And I think you see it in this thing. You see like a Walden books. And, yeah. And that, the mall that we are using is, uh, 
you know, I wandered around it, and it's like it brings you right back to your childhood. I think that the production design on this show is just out of this world because it doesn't. Um, you know, I see things where people have a subtle sort of spin on the ball where they kind of show you that they're in the 80s. And yeah. I just think there's something so subtle about this production design where it just feels like you're there. Yeah. And we're not trying to let you know how, you know, smart we are. Yeah. We're yeah. just like there. And we, I, I'm i so impressed with that. You just said the magic word with Walden Books. Walden I mean, Books? You remember Walden yeah, Books? Yeah, Walden Books and B. Dalton Bookstores. Remember yeah, those B. two? Dalton <laughs> I don't think we have a B. Dalton, but we do have a Walden yeah. Books. You know what they also... Um, I'm trying to think what I can... I don't think... The pivotal. I'm trying to think what's pivotal, but I know that there was like I think there's a ground round in it too. Which do you remember the ground round? I don't remember it that. Might have been sort of that an might East, East Coast, Coast thing. thing. Yeah, I mean, the ground round was somewhere where it was a it was a restaurant, uh, like a chain restaurant, kind of like a Cracker Barrel sort uh-huh. of thing, like burgers and stuff. But I remember you could throw peanut shells on the floor, and I just remember when I was uh, like nine years old, I had my birthday party there, and I threw up. And I never want to go to the ground round ever again. So, <laughs> and then they went so out of business when, after that. <laughs> wow, look at that. Yeah. Oh, wait. I want to say one more thing about that X-Files episode. Well, yeah. We yeah. Let's go back to X-Files. Can we go back? I, okay. I, want, I want to talk a little bit more about that. Um, yeah. We'll talk about, about that episode first. Okay. Like, well, well, first of all, I just want yeah. to say one thing about this brilliant. They do a brilliant thing with editing and the, our idea of watching television in general. Because the idea is that Mulder and Scully are hallucinating, right? Yeah. So one at two points, I think, in the thing, um, I know at the end, but at two points, they go like, you know, we're watching their story unfold. It's cutting here, cutting there. And then they go like, how do we get here? And she goes, you know, we walk to the... And they can't remember. But clearly, in the story, it was just a cut. Yeah. It was just an edit and a cut. And we, when we watch television, just watch television that way. We don't think about how the characters... They just... Yeah, we're just cutting to this part of the story. But they actually use the fact that that story is edited yeah. to mean that the characters don't know where they've come from or and that like the story is not making sense. Yeah. So it sort of like undermines the entire uh, medium in a certain way. Yeah. I mean, like, and they were doing crazy stuff like that. Even in, there was some episode about roaches mm-hmm. where they were in like a supermarket and the big thing when the roaches all go out on the floor and everyone's screaming, they're like killer roaches. At one point, they had one crawl across the lens. It's a CGI right. roach, but it crawled across the lens. So it seems like it's inside your television crawling across the thing. So they were doing like all kinds of stuff like that. Oh, early, early CGI, which, you know, the, this, <laughs> yeah, so the exactly. CGI in this episode is a little cheesy, but it is yeah, 1999. So yeah. they did the best that they could at the time. Where they, there's a melting uh, uh, feature that uh, at one point, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's like dream sequencey sort of thing, yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah. very like music video, like <laughs> mid '90s look. But I'm sure at the time it was like this is cutting edge. <laughs> like they shot their budget for like the yeah, entire week no, just like... on that CGI move, but still, still cool for the time. But that's the great thing. They do things, and they also do things with the upside down. Where they at one point, I think I don't really remember, but she's in the bathroom. And just kind of nervous. The first girl who gets killed. Yeah. She's in the bathroom and she's kind of nervous. Oh, yeah, she yeah. She looks Robin in the Lively. mirror. Yeah. And then, and then you just see a flash of like yeah. the goo coming down. And then if she flashes back to reality. Yeah. I mean, it's it seems almost the same as Will being in the bathroom at the end of season one. Exactly. Where That's, it's like, yeah. yeah, it just flashes to this upside down world. And yeah. Back. Yeah. So, you know, they're, yeah, alternative reality. Definitely. Yeah. So, so were you a big X-Files fan? Huge. Yeah. yeah. Huge. I love, I love that show. And I love the, uh, you know, I love what 
Julian Anderson and David Duchovny did with those characters. I mean, yeah. I think that that relationship was so like, and it's one of those things where when I started watching it, you know, you watch things as an actor, sort of like as they are, and then you can watch things and kind of see it on the page, and think like, and I thought they just added so much dimension and so much depth in very subtle ways. Yeah, that was the reason why people kept wanting these characters to get together or wanting them to, you know, wanting to know more about them. Um, because it could have been easily just a procedural, you know, sci-fi show. Yeah. And they really elevated it. Yeah. Um, and so that, yeah, I, I, you know, and it's funny, though, I was not as into the arc stories with the smoking man and stuff. I mean, I like that stuff, but I really like the Monster of the Week ones, which is so, like, as an actor, I don't want to do procedurals. I want to do long form. But when I watch things like that, I want to watch the episode of the week. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think to some degree that's what people remember, probably talk about more often than because the the, the cigarette smoking man and that whole conspiracy, like it got so out of hand that it's still impossible to really explain like cry check and like all that stuff. Like it, it was fascinating, but at some point we kind of lost control of that. But you still remember just a really good hour-long X-Files right. tale. Right. So this one in particular, so... Uh, Vince Gilligan was one of the writers. I know, I saw that one. And I know. John Scheiben, Frank Spotnitz came up with the story. So this is like an all-star episode. I know. Kim Manners was the director. Yeah. Um, so so this was like classic X-Files, like that brain trust, too. Yeah. Like it feels those. that way, too. Yeah. I mean, it has a confident hand to it, you know, when you're watching it. You're like, oh, this is really interesting. Right from that, like, doesn't he hit the um, mushrooms with the tire yeah. in the beginning? It's, yeah. Just yeah. little things like that. Yeah, so that's subtle. And then even right. when Scully like steps over the mushrooms, and, and they only linger on it for a second. So early on, if you don't know what's going on, it takes yeah. you a while to realize, oh, this is a hallucination. Like, yeah. Because, you know, it's... it's you know, the, the the misdirect where, like, the, you think it might be aliens, and it's, it's typical Mulder latching on to yeah. the alien theory. Like, it takes you a good, like half hour to to realize oh this they're going a whole different direction with this this has nothing to do with aliens or conspiracies yeah but the fact that that's what his hallucinations would latch on to is so great yeah because they kept poking fun of that throughout the series like they would do it and sometimes they do it in sophisticated ways and i thought sometimes they do it in cheap ways you know but this was one of those ones where it's like oh yeah of course that guy would think that it you know he'd go into it with that mentality yeah um i also love the like double ending like i love the fact that they crawl out yeah, and then they're in his office doing that thing where they're like, "How do we get here? We're still there." Yeah, and then they, you know, and he shoots Skinner. Yeah, it's great. It's so <laughs> it's, great. So the yellow goo comes yeah. out of him. It's so great. Yeah, and then at the end, there's that beautiful moment where they're being led away in the gurneys, right? And they just hold hands. They hold hands. Yeah, that's you know, again, they that's it, one of those frustrating relationships where to this day, <laughs> even with the the reboot. Uh, you know, they they just never really make it completely clear that they've been together. I mean, we know they've been together, but yet they they continue to dance around it. <laughs> Even now, where you know they they're staying in separate hotel rooms, motel rooms in in the revival, just like oh, last really? year. Yeah, I haven't it's, watched much of the revival. I yeah, I uh, I don't think you could do that. That actually does disappoint me. Yeah. Like, I, I want them... Because I, I want to see what happens when those two people get together. You know what I mean? Like, I want to see them drive each other crazy. Yeah. I think that's part of the fun that maybe they didn't... They miss. I know that people love that tension of people not getting together in shows. But I also... 
I need to learn how to be in relationships with people that you have complicated dynamics <laughs> with. I want more guides on that as well, as opposed to just the tension. Yeah. I mean, people still bring up mood lighting to this day. It's, it's like that completely changed how people deal with this kind of, uh, you know, will they or won't they? Even now, it, it seems like people are a little more gun shy because of that, that fallout. I mean, I don't know. It's really? probably, that's probably one of many reasons, but you know, the, that's what they, the whole moonlighting effect, I think, probably scared a lot of people from really? going too far with these relationships. That's so interesting. Okay. So, I mean, who knows? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that theory. So... But, um, yeah, so X-Files, uh, th- this episode, actually, 99, that, that was around the time that you uh, your, your career started, right? Yeah, so. yeah. My New York, yeah, I was in New York at the time. Yeah, 99, I did my first uh, Broadway play, I think. That, did my first Broadway play, I think I did, I was doing a soap opera at the time, too, yeah. in New York. Did the typical Law and Order? Uh, I did a couple Law and Orders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's orders. requisite when you're in New York, right? Yeah, it's the Dick Wolf uh, subsidy for theater artists. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. It was great. Like you'd make, I forget what it was at the time, but it was somewhere around like, you know, $7,000 or something. And you'd be like, whoa, I just paid my rent for like four months. Yeah. I mean, it was like great, you know, because when you are doing off-Broadway plays in New York, like, you know, you're making just, you're not making enough to live. So occasionally to have an episode of television like that. And it was really the only thing at the time that was really shooting in New York. It was that and soap operas. Yeah. So we would do, like, As the World Turns, All My Children, things like that. And then um, and then do uh, do Law and Orders. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are fewer soaps now. I mean, they're, they're down no, to, they're like... No, not anymore. Yeah. And especially in New York. And in fact, I when I started them, was the last year that they were doing them. Do you remember that movie Soap Dish? Yeah. So in Soap Dish, Sally Field walks out of, like, it's around Columbus Circle before it was redeveloped. She walks out of a studio there, and that was actually very close to where the actual studios were for As the World Turns, I think All My Children, Guiding Light as well. But there were they were on 57th Street and, like, 9th Avenue. And uh, they're just, like, you just walk to work, go in, big studio, three cameras set up, four cameras set up a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Big, um, it was so interesting, too. I always thought that the work that was being done if they could see it from the actors, the work that was being done technically was so much more interesting than the work that we were doing. Yeah. Like these guys with these big Fisher booms. Have you ever seen these? Like big platform boom mics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With and like yeah. a fishing rod cable, and they would just like shoot them out. Yeah. Um, and then these four camera and a director in the booth, like on the fly editing it. Uh, it was like a sophisticated setup. You would shoot an hour of usable tape in a 12-hour day. So you'd have an hour-long show. Part of your 12 hours would be an hour-long show. Yeah. It takes us you know, 16 days to shoot a Stranger Things episode and then like three months to put one together <laughs> in terms of post and editing. And they would do that in a day. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, that's. I think it takes them longer to shoot reality TV these days yeah, than, than that. So <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, that does feel like an art form that's pretty much gone away, though. Yeah, and in fact, you know, I mean, it was, it's been slowly devolving, but it was interesting. Like, uh, Larry Brigman was on the show as well, and he'd been doing it for 40 years, and he did it when they were live. Uh, and so that's why they would do, they would still do, they wouldn't do, like, they should do rolling, you know, action. But instead they would do, and five, four, three. And they'd point to you. Oh, the, they do the silent. Like the, the leftover, yeah. And they'd point to you and you'd start. So it was a leftover from the live yeah. TV days when, during the commercial breaks, they would just hold. 
and then they just like hold for two minutes or whatever as the commercial line, and then they come back and they have five, four. Yeah. Is there any any sort of uh, moment from those days that you kind of miss, or is it hard to say, being a struggling actor in New York, that there's anything really that you miss? Oh, I mean, I loved all of that. In fact, you know, it's kind of funny. Like, I was, um, I did, I did regional theater up in this little theater in Maine when I was like in college in my summers. I was like 19 or something, and I, an ex of mine was a child actress, and she was working on a TV show. Uh, it was like a Kelly Martin TV show, like around. You remember Doctor Quinn Medicine? Yeah, it was related to yeah. that. Oh, I, I remember. It's like called remember? Christy, right? I think that was it. Yeah. So my ex was working on that, and uh, the producer. She told the producers that I was doing regional theater in Maine, and the producers were like, "Oh God, I remember that time as being so." Long. And I was so mad at the time. I was like, <laughs> "You're so patronizing and condescending. <laughs> like I want to be doing television. Like, and you're, you know, you're, you're saying that." And now I look back on it just being like, that was, it really was like a golden time. Because um, I just feel like I had so much pure love of what I was doing and pure passion. I don't think I was as good. I mean, you know, a lot of that passion just gets expressed in very blunt ways. Uh-huh. But um, but I, di- I did have a real pure amateur's love of it. Uh, and even when I was starting to work professionally, it was just a real amateur's love of like, I would do anything. And even I remember this. This is so funny. Like, even on the soap operas or lawners, I remember thinking that I could do takes. I still sort of think this. But, like, it, you could roll the camera all day. Like, we could just do we could do 150 takes of these two lines. Like, just let me let me work on it. Like, let me yeah. continue to do it. Because you, you had all the time in the world at that point. You're, you're young. <laughs> yes, you're like, yeah, what, what else idea. you got to do? Uh, it's true. It's true. It's true. But I also like just loved it. I loved the subtlety, like, and and I thought it's so crazy. You capture something on film, and people only see. I was a theater background, so mm-hmm. the fact that you only see one shading of it, like people can come see plays. I'll do a play for three hundred performances, and you can see, you know. And so the fact that you captured once, I was like, how are we going to do this? We need to do like two hundred takes. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because the, 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 not being an actor, the question I always have for people performing on stage is, how by like the three hundredth time do you still find something new? How are you not just it's bored like a at marriage. that point? I mean, yeah. how do you like wake up with the same person yeah. uh, every day? <laughs> and like you know, I, it really is. I mean, yeah. and I've always considered sort of film and TV a bit like dating somebody fun and interesting but like theater really is a marriage because you have to commit to that particular character that particular text and that particular being in the moment that night Mm -hmm. and whatever the audience gives you that night like it's like a religious ceremony i mean churches too they go and they do the same you know yeah we'll do the same section of text and you'll pray or you'll sing the same songs and but it's it's special and it's because of whatever's happening that day yeah. or it's special because of whatever. It's the same thing like, you know, you bake bread, right? And you have all the same ingredients. You have like flour and, you know, water and eggs and whatever. And you, but you put it all together, you bake a cake, right? Depending upon the humidity and the air on that particular day, it may take you a certain amount of time to bake it or it may take you another amount of time. Like, so the, the variables that happen day to day, the subtle like variables, are yeah. something where when you're doing the same piece of text over and over again, you start to, uh, you start to discover those things. Yeah, yeah. And so like, you know, I mean, sometimes I'll do plays and like seven months in, I'll finally get what this guy's saying. I'll be like, oh, 
Oh, you know, you've been like performing it and it's been good, but it's just like finally you get it really what he's doing or what he because it takes that time to sort of psychoanalyze. Yeah. It. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and also there are times when wacky things happen to your brain, of course, where you get bored or you forget your lines suddenly like eight months into a play, like things like that happen all the yeah, time. As yeah, yeah. Well. I was going to say with the cake analogy, then there's that one day where you just put a little rum in there and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all it's all new it's again. It's a delicious cake. It's, it's all, a really delicious cake. Starting all over again. <laughs> so the other thing I asked you was to pick your favorite Stranger Things episode mm-hmm. and you picked season one finale. Correct. So... So what? Tell me why? Why? Why is that your your sort of your favorite out of the batch so far? I mean, you know, it's a selfish, pretty much a selfish reason. I just think it's Hopper's sort of shining uh, moment. Yeah. But also, I do think the last, what is it? Not the not the actual epilogue when they're in the hospital and they sort of go back to their days, but the last like ten minutes of the denouement when that Moby song is playing, um, and you're watching. Uh, Eleven deal with Brenner and the agents and the Demogorgon mm-hmm. and Mike and all those guys Lucas with the with the slingshot and then you're watching me and Joyce save Will and you're watching the teens fight the monster with the bat and everything yeah um, yeah oh yeah I mean there's a lot of feel good moments and, yeah yeah but, and I think that the, for me it was like you know you get to see in episode eight you really get to see you haven't seen anything of Sarah you've heard about her he's lied about yeah. her a bunch of times. And he's told the truth to some people about her. So she really is kind of a mystery. I mean, you know that he's a wreck, but you don't really get to see why, what happened. And then you really do see the cancer. And, like, you see him be so loving in those final moments with her. Um, And then, you know, like, this realization that this guy's had five years, so he's not in grief anymore. He's so crusted over with this, like, deadness inside him that there is this moment when we did that... A resuscitation scene with Will, and he does breathe, and like I take this breath, and I'm, they edited it beautifully. I, I don't really remember consciously doing this, but I remember that after he wakes up, there's this <gasps> like I breathe for a second, and it feels like I remember watching it and uh, crying myself because I didn't, I didn't even uh, know it was me anymore. Like I just saw that character, and I saw that guy who'd been through so much finally do something that he was proud of for himself for the first time in, you know, however many years, and finally, like, uh, save someone that he actually could save. And it just, like, moved me so much. So, And I rarely, I mean, I'm so, I've done so much of it that I rarely get, like, truly moved at stuff. And so the fact that this, I was in it, and this moved me was even beyond, yeah. because I'm so critical of stuff <laughs> Yeah, well, I think I think you're right in that there there was quite a payoff in saving some of that backstory of your daughter up until that that final episode and and seeing that and and yeah, it was moving and it also kind of set the stage for Hopper as the you know parental figure for Eleven in season two as well and and sort of seeing that come back to him a little bit. Yeah, it's true. But uh, but yeah, I mean that. That that episode eight, I mean, that was that that, that came with everything in the kitchen sink. I mean, there there was <laughs> yeah. a lot of lot of lot of great moments there. Yeah, yeah, and I just you know I just think the way it was shot and the way it was done, and even you know it it's a little if you go back and watch, it's a little bit the whole first season is a little bit awkward. Like I think we're getting a little more sophisticated as we move along, but there was an awkwardness to the whole shooting of that season. Like we were we're a bunch of 
dorks in a certain way, the duffers and me and everybody, all the kids. Yeah. And, uh, well, you guys had no idea what like this thing was at the time, right? Or no. what it could, was going to be or what it could be. So, no. And we just decided to like, and I've been in so many failures in my career or just so many things where people were like, you know, oh man, your life's going to change. And then like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I have a healthy, I had a healthy sense of like this, this, I, I thought it was beautiful, but I, this could easily be nothing. Like nobody could watch it. Yeah. So I, I, the interesting thing about that is like, I sort of got to a place where I was like, why not put everything into it then? Like if nobody's going to watch it, why do you care? Like just put everything into it. Like just put your whole soul into it. Like just go there because it's like an athlete. It's like who cares? Like let's just play the game. Like let's just play tennis now because we have what I consider some great equipment and some great people. Like let's just play hard, and that's what that's what we did. But it felt clunky in that way too. And I think the episodes feel clunky. And even that at the end, like there's a the Demogorgon at that time was a guy in a suit. You know, like there's things about it that feel clunky, and I like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, yeah, there's something sort of innocent about it, right? That you can't really, by the time, I assume, by shooting season three, I mean, it's a whole different phenomenon, and yeah. everyone's going on to do other things, and, and there's a different expectation now. Does, does you know, on the one hand, you have so much more resources, I'm sure, and you feel like it's a final little machine, but there, a little bit of the innocence is gone, right? Is I that... agree. But also, I do think that we are... Uh... I want to. What's the term I want to use? Like, kind of jerks or something. You're like, you know, like we're. I mean, the duffers and me and you know, like we like to be provocative. I think, and I think that some of those provocations uh, are really helpful, and some of them aren't. You know, I know a lot of people. Like, they were very provocative with episode seven last year mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people were really upset with that episode and really hated it but it was an example of like the risks that we're willing to take and throw out the model that works and just be like yeah we're gonna try this and yeah. I think that's what uh, what's gonna maintain that innocence is our sort of sense of like yeah of course it's successful we're happy it's successful but we really you know we just want to do what we want to do yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, those kids are getting older, right? Oh, well, so you yeah. gotta, you gotta, <laughs> we gotta do it quickly. You, season four, know, you better get cracking, right? It's, <laughs> I know that we we're we're giving them. Yeah, we just gotta shave. You know, they gotta shave yeah. in the morning and everything. I'm I'm actually impressed that they still look as young as they do because they're, they're getting to that point where yeah, you guys better. <laughs> it's funny, man. Like we had a there was a funny sequence that we just shot where. Um, there was something with me and a kid, I won't name them, uh-huh. uh, that we start. We shot in, when did we shoot it? Like in May. And then they were maybe not going to finish the block. And then they were like, oh, we'd have to put this in like the end of July. And I was like, no, no, you can't have me in the place, then walk out the door and have two months later... I was like, that kid's not going to look the same. Yeah. He's going to look like that kid. <laughs> like, yeah. grew up. You know what I mean? Like, he goes in. The, there was a, a Carol Burnett story of, like, she, you know, she she uh, had plastic surgery. She shot Annie, and she had plastic surgery on her chin in the downtime. And they had to do reshoots, and they had to reshoot her scene. And she came back to set, and she had a chin. And uh, Houston was like, okay, you're going to go into the closet, and now we're going to pick it up from you coming out of the closet. And she was like, I have a whole new chin. And I was like... <laughs> 
well, I look determined. <laughs> but I mean, that's sort of the thing of like, be, these kids change. And yeah. so you have to shoot it like on the day you have to shoot it. You can't wait. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and there's been a lot of shows through the years where you always wonder like, why didn't they pre-plan this? Why didn't they like, and, and, and I mean, you guys seem to be okay with it. But there was, there was, uh, I remember one show, uh, Everybody Hates Chris. Did you ever you oh, remember yeah. that show? They, they, there was one year where they ended up having to shoot two seasons back to back because they suddenly realized, oh shit, this kid is He's like six feet tall yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, so we can't wait until so so they they wrapped in April and they're like. We got to keep going. Oh my god! Because he's already like yeah six feet, oh and this is not gonna this is not sustainable. Oh, that's and crazy. then that was the final season of the show. That's I crazy. I mean, one of the cool things about our show is that like they're in, ever inventive. Like the kids are growing up in the show. Yeah. So like, oh yeah, time is passing. They were yeah. kids, yeah. and like now they're teenagers with all that like you know with all that that entails. So. You know, people are time does move in our show, so that's to our advantage. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see how you know what we can do. But I also think that we're not going to overstay our welcome. I think that we have a complete story that will wrap up. We're not going to be going for yeah know, seasons, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got other things to do, right? Uh, uh, kind of. How's I mean, <laughs> how's uh, Hellboy looking? Uh, it's good. We shot it. Uh, and now you know it's good. We're we're putting it together in post. So yeah. there's uh, it's funny that the thing I love most about it is it's tr- a lot of it's practical. So it's a lot of big monsters. Like I'm completely practical. Uh-huh. The Hellboy whole thing is practical. And then how is that? How is that? How is that? By the way, wonderful. You know, yeah, two and a half hours of makeup every day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and then. Uh, a team of people. They were great, though. Joel Harlow and his team, who are—they really are geniuses—and they were lovely about it. But it's like, it's like you're an ant hill, and you just have a team of ants, like constantly after every take, just constantly touching you yeah. and doing all this stuff. But uh, but it looks amazing, and the fact that these monsters are practical look amazing. But I do know that in post, we have to take a lot of time for the CGI because mm-hmm. even in little se- sequences and things like that it just takes a long time to put it together but I'm really pleased with what we shot I mean I think it's really new I think it's really different yeah so I'm excited very very cool yeah, yeah 2019 right so 2019 January 2019 yeah yeah I hope we get it finished by then. <laughs> <laughs> well, CGI has come a long way since that episode of The X-Files in 1999. We're going to have one one sequence where uh, Gillian Anderson's face melts. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be... Took us months and months yeah. to put it together. As you're talking on a flip phone. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and going to a Walden Books. Star Tech. Exactly. Well, uh, congrats on the Emmy nomination. Thanks, man. So uh, it's uh, come a long way since uh, those days in 99, uh, <laughs> yeah, doing the soaps and, and the law and order. It's so, true, it's true. Well, thanks, David. Great talking to you, man. Thanks. Nice talking to you, too. That's it for this edition of My Favorite Episode. Join us again next time as we once again explore another guest pick. And be sure to subscribe to My Favorite Episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com for your daily fix of TV news, analysis, and reviews. I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you again next time. 
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.